Steve and Justin use YCharts for their winning investment research. So start your free trial now. And if you purchase, mention InvestTalk and get a generous discount at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, investors, and welcome to another edition of Invest Talk. This is our Monday, July 29th, 2019 edition. And we are almost through the month of July, and we are in the midst of Fed Week. Fed Week, we're going to have a Fed announcement on Wednesday, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later in the show. But I'm Justin Klein, and I hope you give me a call in this hour with your investing and finance related questions. I'd love to hear what is on your mind and allow you to take charge of the show because that's what the show is about. It's, just, it's about you, the listener. What questions do you have? What goals do you have? How can we, each and every weekday, help you achieve whatever goals that you have? And for everybody, that's some version of financial freedom. And we do this every day with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So our job each and every weekday is to help you take that next step in your version of financial freedom. So in this hour, I'm going to do my best to answer any questions that you have and give you some perspective that will better enable you to make good finance and investment decisions, okay? So our listener line is open right now. I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. That's 888-992-4278. I urge you get your call in sooner rather than later. Now, my main talking point today concerns a story. A hedge fund manager is warning the U.S.-China trade deal can't be reached. So we're going to talk about that. We've been kind of in this trade war now for going on a year plus Right, since it's really been officially been launched, you know, tariffs have been started, etc. And his view is that there's a clash of cultures here with the Communist Party as well as Trump has his own culture, you could say, uh, and his own way of thinking about the world. And those two ideologies are certainly clashing, and the big question is. Will there be any measurable or enforceable deal made? And we're going to look into that and if he is right. Also, I want to talk about buybacks, S&P 500 buybacks. There's a new report from Goldman Sachs and speaking to the effects that buybacks are having on the cash position of corporations uh, in the S&P 500 and whether or not that is a worrying sign or something that can be sustained. So we're gonna look at that. Also, I know last week I was trying to get to Tesla and their earnings, but I wanna kinda give a quick update on that story and what that looks like. And then if we have time, talk about some habits, some smart habits that you should develop over time in order to reach financial freedom. So we're gonna get to that as well. So. That's what's on my docket, that's what's on my mind, but the big question is what is on your mind? What are you thinking about right now? 
What were you thinking about over the weekend? What questions do you have? Please bring them to me. I would love to hear them, okay? So 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, let's take a look at the market today real quick. It was a modest down day. Depends on which index you look at. The S&P was down about uh, one, 12, 12 basis points, so a little over 0.1%. Very modest on that front. The small caps, IWM, that was down pretty big early, and we kind of had a slow slog rally higher through the rest of the day, but it wasn't it wasn't a strong rally. It was market still, or the Russell still closed near the lows of the day. And kind of same with the NASDAQ. You had an overall very, very weak morning, a lot of volume, a lot of selling early in the morning on the NASDAQ, a lot of tech stocks, uh, but didn't really follow through to the rest of the day. And once again, had a slow slog rally higher, but still closed down about three-tenths of 1% for the NASDAQ. I don't expect a lot of movement for the, uh, the the markets. I didn't expect it today, and I don't expect much movement tomorrow uh, and into the actual announcement of the Fed decision on Wednesday, which I think it's about a 77% odds that the market is pricing in a quarter basis point cut and what a 23% odds that it's a 50 basis point cut. So pretty th- th- that's pretty odd. Usually going into a Fed meeting, there's a 90 plus percent chance of the market pricing in whatever they think is going to happen, right? So it's pretty much known that the Fed is going to do this and they tend to follow through on that. Now we're in a we're in a state where it's kind of two thirds this, two thirds that, or one third that, and it's pretty. It's that's the first time I've seen that in a long time. So certainly the market could be surprised to some degree either way, right? Even if it's a quarter point cut, even though that's the majority of where the market feels the Fed is going to move, it's going to disappoint that twenty three percent, right? So and vice versa. So I could see some more volatility kicking up in the markets after the Fed meeting on Wednesday, and I'll be here on Thursday to talk about it. Now that's what I planned for today's show. I gave you the full rundown, but first let's grab a question from our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is for Steve or Justin. I live in California. And I'm wondering if you think that it is a wise investment to purchase an investment property, given that my current home that I live in is not paid off all the way yet. So I'll look forward to hearing your call. Thank you. I wouldn't say that the fact that your your primary residence isn't paid off is a reason to not make uh, an investment. If it's a good investment, you should go out there and and try to make it. Now, the big question is, should you be in, uh, investing in real estate uh, this late in the cycle? You live in California, as do I, and there are very few places in California where you can get a cap rate above the borrowing rate or the cost to borrow, especially on investment property, which tends to be a little bit higher than the rate you're going to get on your primary residence. Okay, so. In California, it's very difficult to find that situation. Not impossible, but difficult. Now, if you want to go out of state, that's a whole another endeavor. Uh, owning property out of your region, 
can be stressful, can cause its own uh, bit of challenges, and so you have to go in with your eyes wide open. So in this environment, it's difficult to find great long-term real estate investments. So what I would say is continue to pay down that debt, search for properties, search for investments, but be very, very picky. Don't just buy real estate. Don't just buy uh, an investment property just because you want one, because you because because uh, you feel that should be part of your portfolio. Make sure that it's right for you. Don't get emotional about it. Make sure the numbers work out and focus on positive cash flow. If you're not creating positive cash flow when it comes to your rental property, then you probably shouldn't be owning it, especially this late in the cycle. So stay away from negative cash flowing real estate investments. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And while no one can predict market movements, there's one thing that is certain that volatility is going to be higher in the future than it's been over the past five, seven, 10 years or so, right? We've come into a, an area of financial repression and eventually that will break. And it's important to have a portfolio that is balanced, that is appropriate for your particular situation, your goals. And so here's a chance to sit down with Steve one-on-one, no cost portfolio review guidance. He'll be in San Jose on this Wednesday and now he's accepting appointments for August 29th in San Jose. And then September 19th and 20th, Steve will be in New York City, Manhattan for portfolio review appointments. To reserve your spot for complimentary consultation, you can register at investtalk.com. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. We've made it to the last Monday in July. The markets have certainly been interesting, but the threat of damaging volatility is ever-present. So now, more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance. Justin Klein is here now, taking your calls live. Step up with your questions, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's take a quick look at some major benchmarks at the close today. Gold sat at about 1421, continues to consolidate above that 1375 resistance level that it broke through back last month in June. And it looks very constructive. Can Even with the dollar strong, gold has been very strong, which is very telling to me. And the ratio between gold and the SP 500 has started to turn and looks to be breaking out. And that is a major, major development, not only for just the gold market, but what it's telling about the broader geopolitical, broader economic, global economic situation that we are in. So very interesting to see gold continue to consolidate and even rallied late in the day. Oil was up a little bit to $56 a barrel and change. Bitcoin still is at $9,500 per coin. I talked about this, I've talked about this for a little while. It broke out, what, five, six weeks ago, hit about 12, 13,000, I think, and pulled back since, and is consolidating. It needs to hold above 9,000, continues to do so, but if it doesn't, that would be a very bearish sign for me for Bitcoin. But you know, with the geopolitical order, the problems in Europe, uh, the fact that central banks are 
likely going to go back to QE of some type more more broadly and how that affects uh, the disintermediated currencies like Bitcoin will be very, very interesting. I do still think Bitcoin is a symptom of poor central bank policy globally and how the cryptocurrency segment evolves will be extremely interesting and I think it'll all come down to how the software behind it evolves as well. Now, the 10-year treasury yield was at 2.05% today. It's still ticking up a little bit. Uh, even though it ticked down today, it's ticking up from its lows in June below 2%. And I, I honestly think that the Fed will cut a quarter point, which could surprise, will likely surprise the bond market, give a little bit of a sell-off in the treasury market because you're pricing in too much easing, I think, too soon. Uh, that I think the Fed will be a little more cautious on their cutting policy. Now, so far in 2019, S&P 5 earnings are up 6.5% versus last year at this point. And what's hindering a lot of the earnings is the strong dollar, right? The strong dollar. The British pound, for example, is at its lowest level since 2017. So likes of, say, McDonald's, if they have a lot of uh, locations in Britain and you translate all that revenue back to dollars, well, it's going to be a lot less because of the rise in the dollar and the depreciation in the pound. So the big question is how overvalued is the dollar? When will it eventually turn? And I talked a little bit before about why I think the dollar is strengthening. And I think that situation is only going to continue. So if you want more background on that, go listen to last Thursday's show. I talked about it a little more there. Now, Disney investors. Reported by Variety, Disney has broken the global box office record for a single studio in one year. And it's only July. Thanks to Aladdin, which I saw was really good. Avengers Endgame didn't see that one. Disney has crossed $7.67 billion in ticket sales for 2019, topping the previous record of $7.61. So Disney has certainly had an incredible uh, year. And there's still a lot of titles to be released. So big, big year for the likes of Disney. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And if you should have been listening to Invest Talk for a while, I'm sure. And you have heard me say that I believe every investor should determine their own individual risk tolerance. And you can do that by going to investtalk.com, taking our free risk analysis assessment. And what Steve and I can do is make sure your portfolio is aligned with your own particular risk tolerance. And it's extremely important for you to do that. So I'm ready to take your calls right now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. Love the show. Thank you guys very much. I'm interested in a dividend fund long-term hold to uh, hopefully hedge against any bad market turns we may have. The symbol is VYM. Wondering what you guys think of the fund. Does it look something promising, paying good dividends with good companies and so forth? 
I'm in my mid-40s looking for this for maybe like a 5- to 10-year hold to profit on. I look forward to hearing your answers and feedback. Thank you very much. All right, now he's looking at VYM. This is the Vanguard High Dividend Yield ETF, and yields about 3.3% overall. Low expense ratio, 0.06%. Now, my biggest issue here is, I believe his second comment was, looking to hedge against a, a down market. Uh, and what I'm going to say is, this is not a hedge. Uh, and now, is it less correlated or less volatile than the overall market? Yes, it probably will be, right? Uh, dividend stocks tend to have less overall volatility. But in this environment, a lot of them have sustained a dividend based on building up a lot of debt as well. So there's two sides to any company paying a dividend. It's not just how much they're paying out, but the sustainability of that dividend. And when times get tough, a lot of those dividends get cut or potentially could drive them to bankruptcy if they were too egregious uh, on their dividend payouts and stock buybacks. So I would worry about that. Now, it's obviously diversified. You're going to own a lot of names here. And 3.3% yield in an environment where the 10-year treasury is yielding 2.05 is pretty good. However, if you look at the history of this fund in 2000. Seven, it peaked at around $56 a share, and it bottomed out in 2009 around $23 a share. So you're still talking about a 50% decline in the overall market, which was slightly less than the, you know, the S&P, I think, fell 55% or something like that. So it was slightly less than the overall market, but you can see it's still going to be very correlated with the overall market, still have the same uh, similar volatility. I mean, it may not be quite as much, uh, but it certainly will have a lot of volatility, especially compared to like a bond fund, right? Which is certainly going to have smaller volatility than than this. So, if you're looking for something safer to quote unquote hedge your risk of, uh, of the downside of the market, this is not the one for you. But if you're looking strictly for the dividend buy and hold long term and maybe outperform an environment where we're probably not going to be in a roaring bull market like we have been for the past 10, 11 years, this could work. But don't think it's going to buck the trend of the overall market. So great question, good ETF, but I don't know if it's right for what you're really looking for. Now, my main talking point today concerns a story. A hedge fund manager is warning that a U.S.-China trade deal can't be reached. Now, I'll preface this. This is, this is from Kyle Bass, and he's been a notorious China bear and doesn't like the the way that their financial system has been built up based on debt and all of these money management uh, products that are basically high-yield bond funds or high-risk borrowing or lending, I should should, should say, uh, that's giving a lot of people big yields, 8, 9, 10%, but the, or there's an implicit impl apply that they're guaranteed, but a lot of them are going under. And so that's one example of the structure of the Chinese financial system that he's been a, a large critic of, critic of. So I'll start with that. Secondly, what he says is that every deal that China has signed up for since their inception into the World Trade Organization in 2001, they've never lived up to their promises. And he says, at some point in time, one of our administrative officials are going to hold their feet to the fire. And this kind of battle of cultures, because of the Communist Party, doesn't want to submit themselves to another measurable or enforceable deal. And 
Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin is sitting down next week with Chinese negotiators to discuss a, a potential deal. And I've said this for a while, that it's going to drag out because you have two different viewpoints of how this should work and both sides are very hard-headed in what they see as beneficial for their countries. And China has a very long-term view on how they deal with these type of problems or, or, or deals with other countries. And in the short term, they are certainly seeing pain. You've seen that. Their GDP growth has decelerated to the lowest level, I believe, since the 90s. And without a trade deal, that's likely going to continue. However, they want to continue to be an export hub for the rest of the world and the driver of their economic growth long term. So making a bad deal long term in the sh- just for short term uh, stability isn't in their nature because it's China. It's a communist dictatorship and they can go and pull a lot of different levers that will buffer their economy in the near term in order to potentially make a better long term deal for the country. And obviously, Trump needs a deal in the more short term to lead into the election next year, which is why I think eventually we'll give in and they'll win the trade war to some degree, but Trump will say, well, we win the trade war. That's where I see this eventually going, but it's going to be a little while, okay? I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. To win, all effective investors use a process. And listeners call Invest Talk every day asking to share our winning process. And they too can win using the right analytical tools. Just what do we use as our everyday go-to research tool? YCharts. It's a cloud-based financial research platform. It is indispensable. YCharts has the powerful tools of a terminal combined with the ease of use of a modern website. We use YCharts every day. YCharts is easy to navigate, visually awesome, and informative. YCharts has filters driven by thousands of metrics, Excel integration, and data visualization to create charts that compare stocks, funds, indices, and more. If you're a serious investor, you'll understand that the precision functionality in YCharts is not free. But YCharts has more horsepower and by far better data and filters compared to a giveaway tools from Yahoo or Google. YCharts is a fraction of the cost of something like Bloomberg Terminal. And now our listeners can try YCharts for free. You just heard Steve and Justin endorse YCharts. It's the lightning-fast research, data filter, and charting tool they use every day for their investment portfolios. Think about it. Steve is right. Free software cannot come close to the power, speed, ease of use, and practical functionality of YCharts. And serious investors understand that YCharts can pay for itself with just one or two targeted investment selections. So here's your chance to take advantage of a free trial and a generous YCharts discount. Start by mentioning InvestTalk when you go to YCharts.com. Get serious, get YCharts. 
Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. Enjoy the show. This is Lee from North Carolina. I had a question about Albemarle, ticker symbol ALB. I just recently invested in this stock, and it is a long-term play on the lithium industry, which I think um, long-term will be a um, very big industry with the uptick in electric vehicles. And if you could, just give me your thoughts on this stock or if you think there's a better play that I could be making. Thank you. All right, looking at A Abel, Albel, Mar Marl. I don't know how exactly to say it. A-L-B-E-M-A-R-L-E -E. Corporation. The symbol is A-L-B. They make polymer additives, catalysts, and fine chemicals for the refining of consumer electronics and other markets. About a $8 billion market cap, just a little shy. And it's down pretty dramatically from its late 2017 high of about $140 a share. And now we're at about $70 a share. So 50% down. It has bounced uh, recently from a low of 64 into some major resistance and technically that worries me is that it remains in a downtrend and I don't see anything that's telling me there's going to be a decisive break of that downtrend to be honest with you uh, now it's, it's starting to look a little bit better the momentum on the downside is starting to abate a little bit but not enough to get me excited about a name. Now, the valuation is relatively cheap. You have an enterprise value to EBITDA around eight, and the reason it's come down so much is because the growth has slowed dramatically. Two years ago, they were growing revenues in the mid to high teens on average and earnings in the high 20s year over year. Uh, however, recently, last quarter, revenue was only up 1%, and earnings were actually down year-over-year year, 5%. So the big question is, why is that decelerating so much? And is that deceleration going to turn into an outright contraction like you've already seen on the earnings front of negative 5%, like I said? Now, analysts are expecting a 13% increase in earnings overall this year and an 8% increase in earnings next year. As always, those are usually over op overly optimistic. And so I turned a little bit to the chart. Uh, and I say, is the chart telling me that this trend is going to change? Now, if you go into a recession, clearly less people are going to be buying consumer electronics and there's going to be a lower demand and more competition for their products, right? And the big question, is there really a moat for this company? If they're producing lithium and selling lithium, is that something that they can, they're doing maybe at a cheaper level than most others in the industry? That would be my big question. How are they building a moat around their business or is it just a secular growth play? And if it's a secular growth play, then I would say, yes, keep it on your watch list, but I wouldn't buy it today simply because while the the Valuation looks relatively cheap today. If we're going into a, a recession, we're going into a slower economy, and the slowdown in growth of this company will turns into a contraction, which 
the chart is telling me it is, the economic backdrop is telling me it is, then this downtrend will only continue. But I do like what you're looking at. I like the space. Long term, they tend to have fairly positive return on equity, return on invested capital. And so it's not a bad company, but it's just in a downtrend in a tough time in the economic cycle. So I would stay away from ALB now, but I would keep it on my watch list until the economy turns back around. That was Albel Marley, I believe. Uh, symbol is ALB. Now let's talk a little bit about buybacks. Buybacks, and we know that for the past decade plus, U.S. corporations have been buying back a ton of stock. And the reason is, is because this is how it works. The executives, they issue themselves stock as part of their compensation package, and they say that's aligned with shareholder interest, and that's certainly true. But what they are also doing is manufacturing revenue growth by borrowing money, no, sorry, manufacturing earnings growth by borrowing money in the capital markets because it's so cheap to borrow. That's why corporate non-financial debt is at an all-time high, and they're going out there and buying shares back. Now, sometimes, occasionally, that's a smart thing to do as, as an executive. But in mass, the way U.S. corporations have been doing it for the past decade, overall, it's probably been a net negative because they tend to buy those shares at overvalued levels as opposed to waiting for cheaper levels. And they do this with, they, they either borrow money or they use cash flow to purchase these shares. And Goldman Sachs just issued a report that S&P 500 companies are returning cash to shareholders at an unsustainable rate. And the reason they say that is because Right now, S&P 500 companies are spending 103.8% of their free cash flow on stock buybacks and dividends. That's up from 100 and about 2% in the fourth quarter of last year, which means they are adding debt in order to continue this return of shareholder capital. And while a lot of like I said a lot of times that's a good decision, if you're just borrowing money, you're uh, like stretching your balance sheet, all you're doing is making you, you a, a riskier investment, your stock a riskier investment. Now, as an executive with stock options, they don't really care that much because they want the upside, right? If the company goes bankrupt, yeah, they might lose their job, but they're going to find a, a, another job. And how you get really wealthy is to make sure that your stock price goes up dramatically. Now, S&P 500 repurchase authorizations have declined 20% this year versus a year ago. So clearly, the ability to increase stock repurchases has declined. And with payout ratios elevated, they're drawing on cash balances to, to finance this growth in buybacks. And cash balances on trailing 12-month basis for S&P 500 non-financial companies is down 15%, and that's the lowest level since they've been recording, through the 80s. That's the fastest decline in cash for corporations, which is clearly a worrying sign, and that's why the current level of stock buybacks and dividends are not sustainable long-term. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we stream and broadcast Invest Talk live in the 4 o'clock Pacific time hour 
each and every weekday, and it's also available for you 24-7 via our archive podcast at investtalk.com. And of course, you can listen, subscribe, and rate and review Invest Talk Podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify as well. I urge you to go and, and check out those ways to, to catch it because it's, uh, it's very convenient. I hope you tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk. But now the lines are open and we are taking your finance and investing questions live at 888 chart We've made it to the last Monday in July. The markets have certainly been interesting, but the threat of damaging volatility is ever-present. So now, more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance. And you could benefit from a no-cost portfolio review. Steve Peasley is returning to San Jose this Wednesday, and then again on August 29th. He'll be in New York on September 19th and 20th, in Manhattan to conduct his complimentary and personalized portfolio consultations. Register soon at investtalk.com. Justin Klein is here now, taking your calls live. Step up with your questions, 888-99-CHART. Hi guys, this is Tim from Michigan. Got a question for you about investing for kids. I have two teenagers and we started using online system called Betterment. They each are in their teens, and they have a couple thousand dollars each. Uh, I was wondering what you thought of that as an introduction to investing slash savings account for them. They add money to it. They can adjust the risk level for stocks versus bonds. Um, just wondering if you could take a look at it and maybe uh, respond on the air with what you thought about it. Thank you. I think that's a decent way to start them out because you're helping them understand different asset classes. That's a positive. Uh, it's very simple to, to understand, right? Stocks versus bonds. ETFs uh, is, you know, th- those are structures that I think are hard for basic beginners to really wrap their head around, right? Uh, and I don't think it really teaches them enough about businesses because that's really what investing is all about, right? That's what the stock market's about. Even bond investing, that's what it's about. It's about businesses in general. You could be investing in treasuries, of course, but the vast majority of potential investments that are out there in the marketplace revolve around businesses. And I think a better way to teach them about investing is to have them explore the public companies whose products they use, right? That could be a, a gaming company. That could be the likes of Apple. Maybe they have an, an iPod or iPhone or something. Uh, it could be um, a packaged food company, their favorite snack or something, right? So to me, that's a better way of going about it. And you know, if you're investing a small amount of money, you can go to uh, you know Robinhood. It's a it's a you know, low, very free commissions. Don't use market orders. Use limit orders. Another way to teach them how that works as well. Bids and asks. That's a good way to help them understand how the market works in that sense. So that's the route I would be going: is help them understand businesses in general. You're going it from a, a very broad asset allocation standpoint, and that's fine. Uh, but I think understanding underlying businesses, different industries are going to teach them 
a lot more about the business community, about how the world works, as opposed to Betterment, that's just the you know, risk versus reward, asset classes, kind of very broad and doesn't get to the nitty gritty of what investing is about. So that's the route I would go. Maybe do a little bit of both because both are good lessons, but I like the Robin Hood idea with specific companies. That's my two cents. 888-99 chart, 888-992-4278. We have 10 minutes left in the show. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now. Let's talk a little bit about Tesla and their earnings last week. And they delivered a record amount of cars, right? Record amount of cars. However, their revenue was actually very disappointing and their earnings were disappointing compared to what the street had expected they lost about a dollar 12 a share where an analyst expected negative 36 cents a share and what's interesting about this story there's a lot of things interesting about the tesla story but while they produced or or sold a record number of cars their revenue compared to their second most number of cars which is the fourth quarter of last year was down about $800 million, $800 million. So even though they produced a record amount or sold a record number of cars, their revenue greatly disappointed. And therefore their net loss was about $400 million. And it just shows you that this company doesn't have any operating leverage. You know, that was that's always been the story with Tesla is, oh, we're going to make more and more cars. The more and more cars we make, the, the, the we're going to hit leverage and we're going to suddenly have economies of scale and hit profitability and it continue the results continue to show that they just simply don't have that built into their business now could they get there one day sure they could but you're talking going on a decade plus now of that story not playing out and if you look at their automotive gross margins it was down to 18 from 20.2% in the first quarter and 20.6% in the second quarter of last year. So their margins continue to contract. And what was most bearish about the call, and you saw the stock was down 15, 20% or so after that earnings announcement. The biggest negative was that their chief technology officer, one of their first executives that has been really integral in the development of all of their models, J.B. Straubel, he stepped down from his post as CTO. Now, they're going to say, they have said that he's going to act as a senior advisor, but we all know he's simply leaving the company. It's been, the writing's been on the wall and, and it's been on the wall for a while because a little earlier last year in the filings, big corporations have to say which men or which men or women uh, within an organization are key to the success and it would be material if they left the organization. And JB was part of that list for a very long time until early the middle part of last year where suddenly he disappeared and he started to sell his stock in mass, about $40 million in total uh, since that time in his stock in the company. So clearly he's voting with his pocketbook and saying, I don't believe in this company anymore and I am out. And it's been a slow decline in his 
contribution and involvement in Tesla. And this is a huge blow. Just another example of a max mass exodus of leadership from Tesla. And that is a huge red flag. It's to me the biggest red flag of all of the red flags that you see within Tesla is a exodus and a selling of stock by almost every big executive within the corporation. And so that is one of the big reasons why Tesla was down so big last week. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here and that is to help you achieve financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in right now. We're going into the last segment at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, a noted economist says the Federal Reserve is no longer relevant. Is he right? That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, my name's Sam Taylor. I'm a 16-year-old looking to invest in something a little more risky. I had invested in TWCUX in December. I've gotten more than a 28% return, planning on selling it soon. I have about $4,000 more to invest. I've been thinking about you know, 5G companies, marijuana companies, or something like Boeing that's been down lately. Just wanted to hear your thoughts. Really appreciate the show, and thank you for taking my call. All right, it's looking at TWCUX. This is the American Century Ultra Investor Class Mutual Fund. And this is a large cap growth fund. It's similar to the Russell 1000 Growth Index. And it has an expense ratio of 0.97%, which is a little bit high, I would say. It's above average, certainly on the, on the fees. And it is filled with, as you would expect, growth companies. Apple, Amazon, Visa, MasterCard, and it's certainly high or risk, like you like you said. And you're up 28%. And the big question is, do you want to be invested in growth stocks right now? And I would say it is a, a time where I do think the market will turn in favor of value stocks. Now, when exactly that happens, it, start, it started late last year. And I had a redux of growth investing uh, for the first half of this year because of the pivot by the Federal Reserve. However, this is certainly the I think the highest risk area of the market. the The growth side, uh, the, the the tech names, they're very overvalued and they're momentum names. And when momentum wanes or changes there's going to be a pretty large exodus out of them. So I do think this is a good time to be taking your profits on them and reinvesting in other areas of the market where you see better value and frankly, better growth. So I would definitely be taking profits on this. I I don't hate the mutual fund. It's not bad. Uh, I just don't like the area of the market that you're looking at right now. So that was American Century Ultra Investor Class Fund. T-W-C-U-X. Thanks for the call and, and good luck and glad to see you are so young and engaged in the, the markets and learning about how to invest. And uh, I know that was me when I was 16. My grandfather, he hosted the show and I used to sit in with him and watch him and just kind of absorb it. Uh, and so I would do a lot of that as well. 
Thanks for the call. Now let's get to 12 habits that will help you reach your own personal version of financial freedom. And number one is set life goals. I think this is huge. Understanding where you want to go is extremely important. If you don't know what financial freedom looks like for you, you're never going to reach it, right? Financial freedom could simply be, hey, I don't need a lot of money. I just want to save a million dollars, I'm going to retire on a million dollars, I can invest it, earn four or five percent, make four, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, earn some social security, and I'm good, I don't need a whole lot, that's it. Now others would say, no, I can't just live off of forty thousand dollars, I need to earn two hundred thousand dollars a year, three hundred thousand dollars a year, because I want to travel, I want to really live, right? So if you don't understand which one you are, maybe you're in between, then you're never going to reach your particular goals uh, of financial freedom as well as your professional and personal goals as well. So setting life goals is extremely important. Next, make a budget. I think that's always big. Understanding where your money goes and how much you're putting towards savings is extremely important. You all know number three, pay off credit cards in full. And number four kind of goes back to number two, which is create automatic saving. That's why 401k is very important. If you can somehow create automatic savings into an IRA, also very, very good. We do that for our clients as well. We create a move money form between uh, our client bank accounts as well as their TD Ameritrade account and automatically pull money into that TD Ameritrade account every single month. And that's something that you should be able to set up. Okay. Number five, start investing now. Don't wait. Six, Watch your credit. Don't be don't be foolish with taking on bad debt, too much debt. Number seven, negotiate. Always, always it doesn't hurt to ask for a lower price. Okay. Now maybe on Thursday I'll get to the rest, but I think that's a good start. I'm gonna keep this one and go from there. I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Please come back tomorrow. Steve will be here, and I return on Thursday. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART.